Is this thing on? Cool. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Uncultured the Podcast. I'm your host, Kripa, here to add a little bit of colour to your weeks. This week, we have an incredible guest. We have Swarna Rajalingam, aka The Life of a Social Butterfly. Swarna is a content creator with over 200,000 followers across all her platforms. She's a colorism and body positivity advocate. And finally, first and foremost, as you'll find out, she's a family girl. This week, we're going to talk about her experiences with colorism and body shaming and how she's using her experiences and her trauma and repackaging it into something beautiful. She's making the world a better place while she's at it. So without further ado, here's Swarna. Guys, just letting you know that you might hear some cars and chaos outside, but that is because Swarna lives on a very busy street and we are, we're just going to go with it because I think it's going to be too much effort to pause every time there's too much noise. Sorna, hi. Hey, hey, how's it going? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Thank you for inviting me into your home. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad to have you. Wish I uh, did a bit more research and knew that you follow a dairy feed diet. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, for context. <laughs> so Sorna amazingly made this platter of amazing food for me. And unfortunately, I didn't tell her that I'm vegan. And I, I didn't ask. I didn't check. No, I, I just don't. I don't expect you to have to have anything for me. And we gotta feed you, girl. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Maybe I should say it when I'm asking my guests. Yeah, but it's like, happened hey, twice. Like, um, I'm not t- saying you have to have snacks for me, but if you are, <laughs> but thank you for being here. Uh, Swarna is a powerhouse of a content creator. I have been following you since I think your first couple of vlogs, which you posted on YouTube. Creepily, I think I remember you posted, was it like a, I think it was a travel thing. There was a couple of weddings early on. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Probably yeah. me in Melbourne yeah. for a cousin's wedding. Damn. Yeah, back in You're the day. You're an OG, I'm, hey? I'm an OG. Yeah. I'm so creepy. I remember when I was sending Sora another questions for today. I was just like, is it weird that I know all of this about you? Mm. Yeah, like, <laughs> like you, I, I saw your questions and I was like, either she's researched the shit out of me or she's followed <laughs> me for some time. Yeah, so. but no, I think... I, I think that you are filling a space that a lot of people like there's so many people out there that need someone like you to look up to so I think you are really filling that space really well and thank it's obviously you. working means a lot so I thank you for being here I wanted to talk to you uh, about a lot of the things that are kind of the center of your identity online and obviously that identity has developed and become more nuanced as you've kind of gotten bigger and you've kind of gone through the emotions of life But I think a big part of how you started to gain a lot of traction was through your advocacy on colorism and empowering body positivity and, yeah, just being unapologetically your whole self. You did it at a time where it wasn't as uh, prevalent, especially for brown women. Well, let's rewind all the way back to the beginning. What were your passions as a child? Who is baby Swarana and how did she become who she is today? My passions as a child would have to actually surprisingly be having the ability to connect people. And I know you're probably like, what do you mean? Like as a kid and crazily enough, 
even in primary school, I would walk around the playground. Like I had friends in every single grade. Like my, I, my sister covered the younger grade, so I, I always knew people through her. Um, and I had friends and family in older grades in primary school as well. And I lived in a ethnically concentrated area of South Asians. So we all lived in apartment blocks and we all like played with each other after school. So I just knew people in different grades. So I would walk around the playground and I don't know why, but if I had seen someone sitting alone without any friends, I just felt like it was my purpose to go grab them and oh be like, God. hey, do you have any friends? And more reason than ever, they'd be like, no, I, I'm I'm sitting by myself. And I'd be like, what grade are you in? And they'd be like grade four or grade five or grade two. And I'd be like, can I introduce you to a couple of people? And I would take them to a group of people that I'd know in that grade and introduce them because I just couldn't handle seeing anyone be alone. Oh my God. You were like, you were like an anti-bully. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the days of Bebo? I think I missed that. So I'm okay. 23, 24. Okay. So right. I think that was a couple years before me. Okay. So for those of you listeners who aren't as old as I am, <laughs> there was a social media networking site. It came after MySpace. Yes. It was called Bebo. So it was like, Kind of like your Facebook, right? but a little different. I decided in year seven, call me innovative. Mark Zuckerberg had nothing on me. <laughs> I had gone and created a page called Curry Pride Rock. Okay, Curry. Oh, that's so Pride cool. Rock. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I question the name now. And essentially the whole purpose behind that page was to connect South Asian women and South Asian guys. People would just start writing to each other on the wall. And that's how, like, even till this day, so many people, especially in the Sri Lankan Tamil community, tell me that they met through that page that I'd created in grade seven. I guess I've just always had a passion for connecting people. Yeah. And now I've uh, taken that to actually doing events and making a career out of it and all of that stuff. So, yeah, there's a passion in that. And I guess the creativity comes into that as well. And I've always been quite artistic from a young age. I, we didn't have many toys growing up. My parents, um, like many immigrant families, you know, had to work really, really hard. Uh, we lived in New Zealand prior to living in Australia. Dad used to like deliver pizza and mum and dad used to like deliver paper in the morning while my dad was doing his master's in engineering. So didn't have a lot of toys growing up and then obviously moving to Australia. And then my brother being born, like we just didn't have access to a lot. Um, and so it forced my sister and I to get very creative to keep ourselves entertained. And I highly suggest a lot of parents to do this. Like don't tell your kids what to do when they're, and when they're bored. Tell them to go figure it out because that will be a skill they will thank you for when you grow up. Yeah, I'm just passionate about connecting people, helping people and being creative while I'm at it. So yeah, no, yeah. I, I love that. I think it's, it's very clear in the work you do at that age to have that clarity and to have that compassion as well as like self-awareness to know that life is much more than the individual is, yeah. is so, it's so amazing. I, I think not a lot of people would have had that. Where do you think that comes from? Yeah, good question. I think from a young age, I've always felt like I had an old soul. And then I guess being the eldest daughter in a South Asian family and having a brother with a disability, mm. I was forced to grow up a lot quicker than most kids my age. Forces you to realize that there's so much more to life. So that was always a passion for me to constantly connect people. 
I never realized this till very recently and especially when you sent me the questions and I was reflecting and like what have my passions been as a kid and and that's like carried on throughout my life like even with just social media and organizing networking events and also running a podcast and just doing all these different things and even just naturally in my life outside of social media. What was the reward that you were getting from connecting people? I just felt a great sense of fulfillment. I just could not handle seeing anyone sitting alone. Uh, I'm not here to say I'm perfect, but I just wanted to make sure that people were in groups and people were having fun. And I guess having a brother with a disability also helped me read people. I, I can look at someone and sort of read, you know, what kind of personality they have and where they'd fit in. It was just a skill that I grew, yeah. um, having to always read our brother from a very, very young age. Can you talk to me about how reading your brother and reading his emotions translated into reading people in your everyday? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for those of you who are not aware, I have a younger brother. He's got cerebral palsy. He is currently 21 years old. He is the apple of our eye, the king of the house. Uh, you have to meet him before you leave too. I will, absolutely. I did. I, get, I had a quick sneak peek. Oh, yes, like, oh yes, God, yes, yes. He's literally yes. a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> um, he really is. <laughs> Look, he came into our, my life when I was seven years old and I had no exposure to people with disabilities. I didn't know what cerebral palsy meant, had no idea what had happened to him because he doesn't have um, Down syndrome. So he doesn't have the facial features that you would generally see um, with someone with Down syndrome. And that was probably the only disability that I probably knew, you know, bringing this beautiful, gorgeous, cute baby boy home. None of us actually knew that he had a disability. He looked like every other baby. Um, And then obviously eight months later, we found out that he had cerebral palsy. So he had permanent brain damage. Um, When he was born, the doctors had made a mistake. And um, yeah, that's when our whole life sort of shifted, shall I say. Uh, But I loved him. I absolutely loved him and I loved taking care of him. My parents were extremely protective of him. They didn't want us to change his diapers. Uh, they didn't want us to be carrying him. They were extremely protective of him. But I think there was just this innate thing in myself and my sister where we just wanted to do everything to keep him happy. We loved seeing him smile and he was super, super cheeky. So I think over time, naturally, we just started to be able to understand his cues and understand his sound effects and what he wanted and, oh, he's thirsty, oh, he's hungry. But it all came down from like experimenting over years and years and years. And I I don't think we knew that we were proactively learning to read people. It just sort of happened growing up with him and then I just started to see that this was a characteristic that not everybody had because I would be able to read people I would be able to tell you know what someone's feeling or what they're actually meaning when they're saying something or just reading my friends and and they'd just be like how bro like how, how do you, you know? know? Yeah. How do you know? Like I could just see things from a mile away and I'm like I don't know I'm a witch. <laughs> you know? <laughs> a lot of us rely on verbal like this is how I feel or this is what I want to do this is this is where I want to go absolutely and I think it's that extra kind of superpower that you've been blessed with yeah thanks to him yeah no of course and do you think that you and your sister kind of growing up with your brother do you think that brought you both closer to each other 100% without a doubt Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I think having a sister or just any sibling in between having another sibling with a disability just makes all the difference. 
I thank the universe for giving me a sibling in between him because we're able to relate to each other. We're able to, you know, bounce off each other and uh, split the responsibilities. And it just doesn't feel as lonely, especially because he is nonverbal. Yeah. If it was just me and him, I think my life would have been very, very different, probably Mm -hmm. even very lonely at times because I don't see him as my brother. I see him as my son. Mm -hmm. I I feel like I'm a second mum to him. So to be able to actually have a sibling that I can fight with and bicker with and do all the stereotypical sibling things with my sister just allows me to have a little bit more of a yeah stable life in many ways and I just think that you know we share the responsibilities and we love him so much and like I know that if I was to leave the house and go out my sister's going to take care of him you know I moved to Canada for a year and I I think if I didn't have her would I have comfortably moved I don't think so but I knew he was in good hands and she loves him just as much as I do and we love him differently we do different things with him you know she loves to do arts and craft with him she's a singer she loves singing with him she does she, the way she looks after him is very different. I think she's more of a sibling to him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably more of she's, the she's mother the good cop and you're the bad cop. Yes, I'm more of the mom. Whereas, like, I worry about like, has he been fed and has yeah. his diaper changed and shall I take him for a drive yeah. and where is his mental health at and yeah. things like that. Um, so and they're both necessary. Yeah. I think. Absolutely, and having that shared experience to bind you guys is very special. Right. So. Sorana, let's dive right in. What was your... Actually, let's dive in after I have a strawberry. Yes, have your strawberry. I want to dive straight in and talk to you about what your relationship with your body was like as a child. How did you feel about it? Growing up, I didn't really focus a lot on my body type as much as I did with my complexion. I think that was everybody's focus around me when they made comments to me, aunties, uncles, teachers, parents, the whole shebang, um, who just felt like they could just give you their unwarranted opinions. advice. Because yeah. that's our community. Yeah. Um, what were the comments like? It, well, it would range every, everywhere between like, what happened to this one? How come she's like the darkest in the family? Or like, where did she get her color from? You know, because like, your parents are fairer, or yeah, my parents are like lighter than me, plenty of shades. Yeah, so the, there was a lot more of a focus on my complexion uh, growing up, and I think even just as a baby, there were comments about the fact that my ears were pink when I was born, and which means oh, I'm definitely going to be a dark kid growing up. It's just like really, like when you see a baby, that's the first thing you think of. Like, don't you think, oh my god, how adorable? Oh my god, healthy baby. Thank God, safe delivery, all is well. Like, you're gonna talk about complexion. I was like completely obsessed with trying to lighten myself and looking at ways that I can brighten my skin, lighten my skin. Uh, what can I eat? You know, what other turmeric masks are out there? What are the creams? Fair and lovely. Any other alternatives? Did you ever act on that stuff and buy stuff or make potions or whatever? Hundred percent. I was like, I truly was a witch just like Mm. mixing up potions and concoctions and just like asking aunties like hey what remedy do you recommend or I was being unwarrantedly told told hey try this and try that so I was very much more focused on my complexion however I think having a sister who is significantly smaller than myself so she's 
taller and much more leaner than me. She takes after my father's genetics and I take after my mother's genetics. That made things a little bit complicated, especially because we're only two years apart. I did get body shamed because my mum, she would dress us in the same outfits and things like that. So like imagine having a sister in exactly the same outfit as yourself, but just looks a lot smaller than you. And you also don't see yourself and your body represented much in media. So it's conventionally considered better. Better. Like, oh, wow, like she's skinnier and Mm. she's lighter skinned. So we were instantly compared. That's when my relationship with my body started to get more complicated. Because as a kid, I was very athletic. I was very sporty. I didn't really care about how I looked. Um, I was very much a tomboy. I was always out in the sun. Did I wear sunscreen? No. Did I wear a hat? No. I just cared about being on my BMX bike and you know riding it down the streets and playing hopscotch and just like that's all I cared as about any kid should as any kid should be and then obviously I was lured away from the sun because I was getting darker and then I obviously matured and hit puberty and my body started to drastically change I have my mother's body type were very curvaceous everyone from her side is extremely curvy so I started to develop my breasts that hourglass figure started to form what were the comments that were told to you about your color and your body that you started to internalize and when did you think that needle switch to a point where you started feeling like okay this is something that's wrong with me and not something that people are just saying yeah questions like oh like do you eat all your sister's food like what happened like how come she's so skinny and you're not are you are you eating up all her food questions like oh what's happened like why have you suddenly put on weight or what happened to you you've suddenly gone darker or you really shouldn't be wearing that color it's making you look a lot more darker i wear whatever i don't care if that's supposed to suit your complexion or not and every time i wear that color i always get comments going this color was made for you there's no trick it's just that i wear it with confidence every color is made for you if you wear it with confidence there's no such thing as that color doesn't suit you that color suits you oh you're pretty for a dark skin girl a lot of it was said in Tamil so I'm obviously just translating it in English or you know you'd get your derogatory nicknames like karpi karpi in Tamil means black girl or blackie and it's not said endearingly it is said with a lot of derogatory connotations because it's always followed up with a snigger or a smirk yeah. and it's never meant to you, you don't you, you don't good, feel yeah. empowered by it you're just like why and then you have comments from your mates at school where's Swana? like as soon as the lights are off can't yeah. see you can you start smiling so we can find you again or uh, maybe we should use flash on the camera because we're not going to see Swana. uh the switch probably would have changed when i got older i obviously matured And I had access to social media and I had access to all these different narratives because I think, you know, I'd go to social gatherings and we'd talk about this, but a lot of us wouldn't openly talk about what we're personally going through. It just wasn't a common topic back then. So like you'd have other fellow melanin sisters and people with similar body taps, but you wouldn't openly talk about it. I think these conversations only became a lot more common after our South Asian community started to be a bit more open on social media and more people started to share their narratives and share their experiences. And that's when the needle switched for me because I started to read these stories. Like I followed the Unfair and Lovely campaign and that hashtag. I actually didn't even realize that I was being treated differently because of my complexion. Like I knew I had insecurities because of my complexion. I knew that I hated my complexion and I wanted to become lighter and I knew I hated my body and I wanted to look like, you know, the girls that you see in South Asian films. It didn't click to me till I started to learn more about colorism. And obviously I have to thank the black community for the 
tremendous work that they have done to raise awareness about this. And I started to realize, wow, all these personal stories, I can relate to every detail of, you know, daughters being forced to wear bleaching creams and try these turmeric masks and don't wear this color and, you know, being sent to the back of the family photo or classroom photo or not being given opportunities because they're darker. It actually had nothing to do with my merit. It had nothing to do with my ability or my knowledge or my skill. It was purely my appearance, something I could not control. And that's when this like fire ignited in me. And I was like, wow, hell no. Like I am definitely going to start talking about this because this is totally not okay. But reading these stories and digesting them and having conversations about these topics with more people that had gone through something very similar to me really helped in my journey. I think it's powerful to have that realization. It's not your fault that you've been thrown and hurled all these insults and coming to that epiphany that, hey, it's actually society that's fucked up. It's not coming from us. That's when it clicked to me. That's when I pieced it together. I'm like, this is why I've been shunned away or I've mm. been treated differently because I just don't look like your your heroines. Yeah. I don't look like your girls that you see yeah, in media. Yeah, not the main lead role or, no. you know, it's not something that we're sold as a possibility. Exactly. Unless you're a specific look. That's right. Do you think that the the way that you were treated in the past, it didn't feel like it was as a result of your color and you kind of figured it out in hindsight? You were like, all right, this is why at this point I was treated like this or boys didn't like me or X, Y, Z. Now I realize that it's linked to colorism or body shaming. Yeah, absolutely. It was like an aha moment and I'm like – now it makes all the sense because I would try like I was a major people pleaser growing up and obviously like that like (laughs) this could turn into a therapy session but you know (laughs) just like you know growing up with a brother with a disability being the eldest daughter um, in a South Asian household you always want everyone around you to be happy and you always want to please everybody and so all of that was linked and I just couldn't understand why I wasn't liked sometimes I had always tried to treat people with kindness but Even so, you know, I would be left out. I was bullied heavily in primary school. So, you know, when I started to realize why wasn't I given opportunities, I'm very much capable, but I wasn't because of this. In grade seven, I was passed down a note that told me to go put myself in the washing machine and clean myself because I was dirty, because I was obviously the token brown girl and the token woman of color in my grade. It's like I saw the note being passed and I had no idea what it said. Open it up only to be told I have to to go bleach myself and go clean myself in a washing machine because I was dirty. For for an 11-year-old or 12-year-old to read that, I can't imagine the emotions that would have gone through you. I just, I think crying doesn't even cover the breadth of the emotions you would have been feeling. Traumatizing, triggering. I I still remember it, but it's shaped me. You know, I look back at that and it's, it's built my character. It makes you empathetic. It makes you be able to relate to people and understand and put yourself in people's shoes. So I'm actually very grateful and very thankful for these little, little incidents that have happened in my life because it's made me who I am today. You've done something beautiful with it. You've you've kind of repackaged this trauma into something that is helping people. So thank you thank for that. You. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about what Swarana's tangibly done to make the world a better place, the pressure to be confident, and finally, what she could tell her younger self if she still could. Stay tuned. 
What was it like, Swona, to balance your relationship with yourself, with your duty to your parents as the eldest child of a South Asian household, an older sister to your middle sister, and then finally being an elder sister to a brother who's uh, not able-bodied. So I guess all of those things, that's a lot of responsibility. Plus dealing with your own trauma growing up. What was that balance like? When did you feel like you'd kind of reached its point? When did you feel like you got a handle of it? I'm going to have to tell you, it's constantly a work in progress. I don't think, um, I don't think I've ever hit a point where I'm like, I got this. Cause I just think that life is full of surprises. It's always going to throw all kinds of obstacles and challenges our way. So, you know, really thinking about like what fills your cup, there's always a work in progress. You know, I'm going to have, have days where I'm like, Oh, I don't think I've been a good enough daughter. I haven't been as present because I've been so busy with projects. Like, Hey, like I took off for a year and I moved to Canada and I felt absolutely shit not being there physically for my, my family. And that's something that I had to battle. Mm. You know, how do I balance the life that I want to have? But part of that life is also including my family, but I can't be taking them with me to all my crazy adventures and deciding to move to the other side of the world. What was Um, that? What was that guilt like? Oh, it was, it was really bad. And like my mum called me and she told me that some auntie went up to her at some, at some party and said, oh, I thought your eldest daughter was like, you know, really loved her brother and all of that. How can she just move overseas for a year? And my mum had obviously come and told me this and I was pissed. And I really wanted to do that. I wanted to get away and not get away from my family, just get away from the bubble that I had lived in and meet new people and do something new. And I think it was actually a really good thing because it forced my family to figure out how to do life without me, which actually encouraged my sister, who's the middle child to, you know, step it up my parents to tap into the resources that the government actually provides. Sometimes like, you know, when you figured it out, you don't go out looking for other resources. So me leaving the nest actually encouraged my family to become more independent. But yeah, it's always a work in progress. Um, I think I'm a lot better at handling my balance now than I was when I was younger, but that just comes with experience in time, really. Yeah. I think also we live in a culture of compromise, right? Like, and I think that's probably where that auntie was coming from, but that shouldn't mean that you need to compromise on your happiness in order to make sure that your brother is safe because there is an element of hey you being the best version of yourself is ultimately going to be the best for the rest of your family too absolutely and like I a hundred percent connect with that like I think always remember like you come first it's it's like being on a flight like you got to put your oxygen mask on first before you can help anyone around you and so this is something that I try to live by now like I try to make sure that I'm okay and I'm in a good space so that I can actually fully be present for my family I have been blessed with this incredible platform doing something that's very different to what people usually do on social media like I'm not necessarily a professional model or a makeup artist or a business owner I get to get away with just talking about things that I'm passionate about and just sharing my family and my life. And I've got a partner overseas all the way in Canada. So making sure that, uh, poor boy, (laughs) making sure I have enough time for him too, especially with a crazy, crazy um, 16-hour time difference. Rewinding back to what we spoke about earlier in in the episode, you say that you grew up with your sister who was who is a couple two years younger than you, Swapna. You kind of were faced with this comparison uh, to her because she was fairer or lighter skinned than you were and also her body type is uh, much smaller. How did you kind of grapple with and have you fully grappled with 
that comparison and internal dialogue that you had growing up about uh, surrounding that? Yeah, it's been quite a journey, I have to say. Um, for the longest time, I despised my body and just we shared a room too. Mm. So we shared a room, you know, we'd get ready together and I'd just always be like, man, like I wish I looked like you. But I think I'm at a stage in my life now where I have accepted that I have a completely different body type to it. So even if I was to go on a crazy ass fad diet and not eat or go work out like a crazy person, I could never attain her body type. Go learn what your body type is. Wrap your head around it and accept it. It's like your complexion. You cannot change your complexion. You cannot change your ethnic background. You cannot change what country you were born in. And so I've come to terms with my body type and I've actually started to embrace it. And I love my body type. I love my sister's body type. I think it's so perfect for her. She takes after my dad's side. I've come to accept it. I've come to love it. And I've come to figure out what's the best way to style me and my body. And do you think that uh, growing up, that kind of self-hatred that came with, especially sharing a room and all that kind of stuff, did that ever project as resentment? Or do you think that that was fully about you comparing yourself and how, was how did jealousy play into it is kind of what I'm trying to say. Good question. Uh, I don't think I was ever really jealous of my sister um, because she didn't really flaunt it. Like mm. she just had the body that she had. In fact, the funny thing is I used to cover my arms because I thought I had really flabby arms. My sister used to cover her arms because she thought they were too skinny. Mm. So we both actually had very similar insecurities but had two completely different body types. The grass is always greener on the other side. She always helped me like embrace me. Like she'd always back me up. I don't recall ever being jealous of my sister. Yeah, yeah I think that speaks volumes about your relationship and connection with your sister to be able to separate that hatred of yourself and your body from your actual relationship with your sister I think is really important how did you start becoming a content creator so you if you if you know off the top of your head how many followers you have I think it's 80,000 a little over a hundred maybe 150 to 200 across the platforms? different platforms yeah but it's somewhere around 86 yeah, amazing or 85 I don't know I'm always losing followers these days. The algorithm sucks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, amazing regardless. How did you start getting into content creation? How did this coincide with your relationship to your appearance? Particularly because your appearance and your brand is very central to your to your presence on social media. Absolutely. I've always had a passion for sharing and I stumbled on YouTubers on YouTube. I was really fascinated by the vlogging world. So that's what I was focusing on. I was creating a lot of videos and I was posting it up on my YouTube channel. I would use Instagram to cross promote. Having a background in marketing, I started to think, wait a second. Okay, so I'm doing these vlogs, but like what value am I adding to my online community? Why do they need to follow me? Why do they care about my, about my life? Like I was just doing vlogs and I just didn't feel completely fulfilled by that. I wanted to do so much more. Um, and that's when I obviously started to read these like unfair and lovely campaign posts. And these are topics that I was naturally talking about outside of of the mm. online realm. I'd be talking about colorism and I'd be talking about body positivity. I'd be talking about the pressures that you have in a South Asian household and imitating our parents and just like having a laugh with whoever's at the party. So these are topics that I was just naturally inclined to talk about. And I decided, hey, like, why am I not talking about the stuff that I already naturally talk about offline that I'm known for and my friends love hearing about? I did a shoot 
with uh, Descori Photography and Vensula, a makeup artist here in Sydney. I was very uncomfortable actually initially. I'm not very com- I wasn't very comfortable in front of the camera, growing up feeling very insecure about my complexion and body, and I was very hesitant to post it. I didn't know if I loved it. I was like mm. very like hypocritical about it. And my friends were just like, bro, like you got to post this. And I had never worn a Lenga before that shoot. So that was brilliant. Never, ever in my life worn a Lenga because I had – I had never seen girls with my body type in langas at the time. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, I'm going to wear a langa for a photo shoot with yeah. the cameras all on me. As the so, model, as the main character. As a model. Yeah. And so it was me like literally diving out of my comfort zone. Mm. You know, I wasn't very comfortable about it, but I did it. And yeah, and that's when I talked about colorism. I had just ridden out my personal experience of colorism and I genuinely didn't expect much I just wanted to talk about it I just needed an outlet really it was yeah. therapeutic for me to it's just be like, you know and so many people had like commented on it and shared it and started dming me saying oh my gosh like I relate to you so much I'm currently going through this I've been through this like wow it's so cool that you know I'm not the only one and like I was just like bombarded and I was just, like wow like this is a real thing like yeah there are so many of us out there. So I like created this alter ego of myself. So the shoot involved two different looks. The first look was a traditional lenga. I had called it Ilaversi. Yep. Ilaversi means princess in yep. Tamil. And then I had another look, which was a badass look. So it was like a gemstoned blouse and skirt. And I wore like these round glasses and it was like a more like quirky look. It was like my badass alter ego. This alter ego girl does not give a shit what anyone thinks. She's going to go into a change room and she's going to try on what she wants to try on. She's going to wear what she wants to wear. She's not going to listen to anybody else. I love that. And like through my social media, I created an alter ego. Just like my community who were reading my captions and starting to feel empowered, I started to feel empowered by this character that I had That's created. So interesting. And do you think that you merged into being that character? Yeah. So I started to embody this. I almost felt like an author, an author who had created these characters. So the author is not those characters. Mm. So the first character, Illa Verisi, was more me. But I wasn't the badass back then. Yeah. I wasn't the badass. Like there were parts of me that was a badass. So I tapped into yeah. elements well, of they myself. Were suppressed. They were suppressed. And these characters just became me. My value was my voice. My value was me being able to bring forth to our screens the issues that we are already facing behind closed doors at home and talking about what my journey was or what my thoughts were or how yeah. we can overcome this. I think you were aspiring to be a content creator before that was even a thing. Yeah. This entire profession that didn't exist was unlocked and you just slipped perfectly into it with your talent and your skill. The experience of having your appearance online gives you a better chance. It gives you more of a chance to scrutinize yourself, right? How does that impact your self-worth? You know what? I think most people are going to think, damn, like we would have had to go through some major lows because you're on a public platform. You're being scrutinized by people all across the world. But you know what the funny thing is? I don't know. Call me oblivious, but all that stuff goes over my head. Mm. I feel like my positive image of Mm. myself 
brew from my journey on social media because mm. I was lucky enough to attract such an incredible online community because from the get-go I'm creating content about my journey with colorism and body and bullying and things like that and sharing my brother I was attracting very empathetic people mm. as followers because these are people that could relate to the posts that I was doing these are people that can appreciate an authentic voice that's the kind of family that we started to formulate so now let's deep dive into some of the campaigns you've done because that's kind of how people started to notice what you were doing, the work you were doing, and I guess almost in a way validated your presence online that you were working on this, like some really cool stuff. Do you want to tell me how they all influenced and shaped who you are now and what you have coming up, if you have anything coming up? Sure. So the Dark Skin Goddess Project was a project that I did to challenge our community on why we portray the goddesses it had nothing to do with religion Mm -hmm. Um, just wanted to add that there as a disclaimer so it's not me questioning hinduism or anything like that it was just a depiction of our goddesses why do they look like people that don't look anything like our community no one in our community actually has that really extremely pale light and this is i had this moment where i'm like wait a second like A big part of me feeling insecure was, you know, praying to my goddesses. I thought they were the most beautiful women in the world. Of course. That's that's what gods are, right? You're you're idolizing them. You're deifying them. Exactly. And it just seemed unattainable. And as a young child standing there praying and singing devotional songs, but you're looking at these goddesses that look nothing like you, then you grow up and you're told that, you know, God, God is within you. You are your own God, but you don't look anything like that. It really had me questioning, like, why hasn't our art evolved? And I came across a creator called Ramesh Studios who specializes in Photoshopping Hindu images together. And he creates, wow. like, it's 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 in- insane. Another one I did was hashtag own that color. So own that color was challenging the colors that we're told not to wear. Mm, so I remember this. In a sari and I challenged people to use that hashtag and start wearing colors that you're told not to wear. And it was so cool to see girls like creating bold makeup looks yeah. and wearing bold like colors. Um, and I took my inspiration from the black community again. Like I have yeah. to consistently pay ode to the black community. Unfair and Royal, that was the first shoot that I did where I was like challenging people on like, what does royalty look? like why can't mm. people be royal in terms of upcoming projects i'm currently working on a colorism documentary i released a video um some time ago of a little girl that i'd met in jaffna who had you know expressed her experience of colorism or was just saying that you know she's never going to make a beautiful bride and so i'd shared that content and that video went viral yeah. mindy kaling um came across the footage yeah. and she reposted it and so i'd been approached to be a part of a colorism documentary Very by cool. some creators in melbourne actually so yeah there's that i'm also working on a book on colorism so that's like happening in the background and i'm also working on my own brand an all-inclusive brand Uh, more to come for that but um yeah so it's it's been really exciting and i just feel really blessed to have the resources that i have access to and this platform that i have obviously there's a lot of trauma behind being discriminated against and you've repackaged that trauma into something really beautiful but there's obviously you know, days where as any human would, you're going to feel down, you're going to be reminded of the reason why you were faced with so much of that trauma, right? I guess it's a big question. You can tackle it however you want to, but how has, what does peace look like for you? And 
do you think you've reached it? Do you think that you're on your journey to it? Absolutely. I think I've, I'm much more closer to inner peace now than I was like 10 years ago. You know, you're always, always going to have like days that are rough and you're going to wake up on the wrong side of bed and you're going to feel insecure about yourself. You're not going to like how you look or you're not going to be happy with where you are in life. But it's just about like getting up. We're not perfect. And that's, that's what, that's what being human is. We're imperfect creatures trying to maneuver through this life and just figure it out. But I really value and cherish my inner peace and I don't like to have things that disrupt that and I know most of what disrupts my peace is how I respond to situations. So as part of my spiritual journey that I'm on, I am trying to focus on how do I react to certain situations? How do I perceive things? I'm constantly reflecting and I'm constantly thinking about how can I make this better? Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's a work in progress, the journey, but um, yeah, enjoying it. Do you ever feel like it's difficult or you're letting people down when your self-confidence is low? Because I guess your brand is about confidence and it's about loving yourself and being your inner goddess, right? And as a human, you're going to feel down sometimes, like you said, waking up on the wrong side of the bed or feeling like, yeah, damn, I hate my body or damn, I hate my skin. How do you battle those emotions? Look, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Mm-hmm. I have had this dialogue inside, like in my head, this inner voice where I've you know, been around certain friends and we're trying on outfits and suddenly I feel really insecure about my arms and I don't want to wear something. Obviously, like I try to speak very confidently and, you know, I'm all about empowerment, but then I'm going against everything that I've said and I'm expressing this. But then I realized, no, actually, when I talk about what I talk about on my platforms, I'm actually pretty real about it. So like I actually go into depth about the challenges that I faced and that that inner voice. I try to keep it as real as possible. Like, let's be real. You can never fully showcase, you know, the real side of your life on social media. Social media is snippets of your interpretation of your life. I talk about my insecurities with my body. I, I realize I'm like, no, I don't have to actually feel bad if I am having a bad day because I am articulating this onto my platform anyway. Yeah. It's all part of my journey. But I have had that conversation in my head where I'm like, am I allowed to say this? Can I openly say that I'm feeling insecure around people because they're going to be like, but you write otherwise. And you're like, but no, I actually don't. I actually write it just like this. And on that, having a public platform, what are your goals and hopes? Look, I just want to create a really empowered and uplifting community. I love that I jumped on social media quite early and I was able to, you know, flesh out this community. And I feel like now I've been given this power and I have to use it in the right way possible. I just want to continue being a voice for the people that are voiceless. I want to be able to create initiatives and bring other people on board. And I want to encourage other people to go pursue what they want to do. That is my ultimate goal. I just want everyone around me to be happy living their best life to their full potential because life truly is so damn short you know and I talk about this article all the time but I'm going to say it again like I've read this article by this nurse who was you know who worked in palliative care and the thing that she consistently hears from dying patients is I just didn't feel like I lived my life properly like you know I focused too much on my degree I focused too much on my salary I focused too much on the car that I drove and I'm just trying to like remind people here that like you could get hit by a bus tomorrow anything can happen I mean I think the pandemic was a huge reminder we don't know what's coming so get out there stop being afraid to wear certain outfits live your life to the full potential and just do you and yeah. just so that tomorrow if something happens you're like I am content 
without yeah. how I have lived. I took my chances. I took risks. I s- jumped, dived, stepped, skipped out of my comfort zone. What needs to happen for people to not have to go through what you went through? I think that we as a community need to speak up. Like we can't just be writing captions about this when we're actually in that position where we're seeing someone being discriminated against or we're seeing, uh, you know, a mother, you know, criticizing her daughter for getting darker, like actually be brave enough to speak up because we have to always remember that we're having these conversations. We're having all this activism and advocacy happen on social media, but our parents' generation are not necessarily on Instagram. They're not seeing the narratives that we we're engaging with. One key doesn't fit all locks okay at the end of the day like I know some people have very um, estranged relationships with their parents or there's a lot of trauma that they're dealing with so I'm not saying that everybody needs to go have have a chat with their parents but whenever you're given an opportunity where you can take up space and you can talk about it please talk about it I have a lot of hope and faith for our generation when we start popping out kids I think that we're going to parent them very differently, we can unlearn. If we want to proactively unlearn, we can unlearn. And there are resources out there for us to unlearn. You know, Mm. we can tap into therapy, tap into, you know, follow creators that are talking about the topics that you are passionate about. Let's get rid of the stigma that we have like, oh yeah, South Asian people, it's all about gossip. It's all about drama. It's all about judgment. And, you know, it's all about aunties that want to make comments about you. Let's put an end to that. And let's just actually start being a community that's empowering. If I were to give you a a time machine to talk to your younger self who was dealing with colorism and body shaming and for people out there who are experiencing and haven't overcome it in the way that you necessarily have or come to terms with it, what would that text be? It'll be my beautiful, 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 beautiful child. You have no idea what's to come. There are going to be people around you For your entire life, you can go and change your appearance. You can go and get a new skin if you could um, and a new body, but people will still have something to say. All the shit that's to come is only going to build your character and make you stronger, make you resilient and make you become a voice for the voiceless. Enjoy life. Go outside, play in the damn sun, talk to yourself in the mirror, Work with that voice inside your head and help yourself heal. Take your time. There is no rush. Just remember to love yourself at the end of the day. Love that. No, seriously, I think a lot of people, myself included, if I'd heard that at the age of 12, I I just think it would have put me on a totally different trajectory. Sorana, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I am so appreciative of you taking your time to be here and everything you've said has just wowed me. I'm just, yeah, I'm flawed. I'm speechless as, 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 which is probably the best thing for a podcast host to be speechless, but, (laughs) but, um, but I do really, really appreciate it. Regardless of where anyone stands on the spectrum of color, I think there's something in it for everyone to relate to. So thank you. You're so kind. And I feel like you are born to do this. You are such an incredible host and I can already like feel your energy. You're just so genuine and you ask all the right questions. You've done your research and I love how we went on all these different tangents. Please don't give up on this podcast space. You're so good at this. Thank you. Like for for context, for anyone listening, we've been recording for three hours. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, good luck to you to make this a half an hour podcast. feel like it's going to be longer but we'll see <laughs> but no really it's been wonderful and thank you for your kind words and um you can follow 
Serena at the life of a social butterfly on all platforms. Um, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook is the life of a social butterfly. On TikTok, it's T L O A S butterfly. And I am also, I also have my own podcast as well. Yes, which is the Life of the Social Butterfly? No, it's called the Social Butterfly Effect Ooh, Podcast. Oh, love that. Um, so you can find me on Spotify and you can also find me on Apple. Thanks, Rona. All it's right. An absolute pleasure. It has. And you can find us at Uncultured Pod on Instagram. And I guess we'll see you next week. Bye.